Thank you for pressing play on episode 130 of A-Sides. I'm Andy, and I've got a unique topic for this episode. I was actually approached by Paul Tincher, a friend of mine, to do an episode debating physical media versus streaming media. So I thought, well, why not get a third voice on here? We invited Denny Smith back onto the podcast, who you know from The Great Affairs, and also he owns a record store, Co-op Records, here in Central Illinois. So all three of us debate collecting whether we still buy physical records or not, and how we consume music, because we consume a lot of it. So let's get into episode 130 of A-Sides. Look, it's rock and roll! And cue music. will be episode 130 of a sides and i've got two guests with me as i'm going solo i've got denny smith who said he's been grandfathered in as a co-host and then also our buddy paul tincher who's also known as pablo he had a really cool topic that he wanted to present to us and so i said why not get denny in there because he owns a record store so i'll turn it over to paul when did you first meet denny oh my god Early 2000s, I'm trying to remember that I was looking around for that ticket stub. It was right after the helicopter show at the High Dive in Champaign. That was early. That was like 2002, wasn't it, Denny? Is that sound right? It was. I mean, whenever, when did that DVD come out? When did Good Night Cleveland come out? That would be the easiest. It was in the early 2000s. I, I want to say 2000 or 2002. That sounds about right. And that's when you guys were over in the old strip mall location there across from yep. the old Steak and Shake. And I went in, and Denny had his helicopter shirt on. And I was like, dude, did you go to the show? He's like, hell yeah. And that just immediately started a, a friendship between him and I. And I, I had known of Co-op Records. Obviously, the old location down by where McDonald's is now in Pekin, that's aging myself big time. Yeah, I never went in there. Yeah, and I know I'd known about Co-op. And I don't know why I hadn't been into that particular location at that time. But, yeah, once... uh. Denny, me, Denny and I met, and we started. He started turning me on to all these cool Swedish bands and Scandinavian bands I'd never heard of: Backyard Babies, Glucifer, Turbo Negro, and then, of course, the Wild Hearts. Denny turned me on to the Wild Hearts. I could go on for half an hour of the, of the cool bands that Denny turned me on to, but I, I went and I would make co-op a weekly stop, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> especially after payday. I joke with Denny, I feel responsible for helping keep the lights on for at least a year there because I, I went in all the time. <laughs> I'd smell the coffee before I saw him. There'd be <laughs> coffee. I'd be like, wait a minute, no one in here drinks coffee. And there's coffee. <laughs> yeah, so I just, I started going in there spending damn near a third or almost a half of my paycheck in there sorry man <laughs> no hey you know but thank that, you well that's what got me thinking about this topic was you know i was listening to your older episodes andy and you were talking with ace von johnson and tony higby and i think you and denny touched on the topic of record collecting yeah. at various points in your podcast and, and i was like you know i i used to be that way so what is the over under on people that still collect vinyl slash CDs slash cassettes, whatever. And the people like myself who've gone almost strictly digital. And it got me thinking that'd be a cool topic to discuss because I know that there are people, there are even people that are both, both kinds. They still collect vinyl and, and cassettes and CDs and whatnot. And, and also listen digitally. Whereas, whereas as I have gone almost hundred percent digital with my listening slash collecting or, you know, can you collect things digitally? I, I don't know if that's possible, but <laughs> I think you can collect stuff digital. Cause I've got a hard drive right here that where I've backed up all my CDs and everything. And I've kind of basically borrowed stuff from our buddy Brent and copied all his stuff. I didn't have, I don't know. I tried to yeah, back yeah, up I've as got, much as I've I got, could. I've got tons of stuff like 
demos and stuff I've collected over the years from bands that never got signed or uh, never actually officially released stuff or stuff that meant a lot of that stuff that's not in the streaming world is just because it's the labels don't, you know, no one knows who owns the rights to it. So every once in a while, I'll go to listen to something that I thought I had saved to Apple Music and it's not there anymore. It's just gone. The rights, you know, stuff like Badlands that's just yeah. not in the streaming universe. So I get really bummed out when I realize I sold those CDs and I, and they're not backed up anywhere. So now I, I try and keep anything that I think, you know, I, obviously, you know, the Van Halen catalog is not going to vanish from streaming. So if I sold my entire Van Halen collection, I'd probably be okay for the remainder of my lifetime. But uh, like some of that backyard baby stuff, that's not all out there. You know, mm-hmm. that's one of those things where, if you don't have a physical copy or haven't, you didn't have the wherewithal to store it before you ditched it or threw it. I mean, some, do, I see boxes of CDs by the side of the road. People throw that stuff away sometimes, you know, it all has almost no value to some people. So I'm not gonna lie. I'm tempted to stop and, and maybe I have a couple of times and see what's in there, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's a thing. I mean, it's, it definitely is a, I've had several moments where I realized I don't have that anymore. And the only way I can find it half the time is on YouTube, track by track. There's been a few, there's been a very, I should say very few things that I've went to look for on Apple or Amazon or Spotify that I can't find. Yeah. But like, like you said, if it, if it's something that you either haven't listened to in a long time and you get a hankering for it, or it's something that was always there and you took it for granted, and then you go back to look for it and it's gone. That is extremely frustrating. Yeah, but I can't. I can't think of anything recently that I went to look for that wasn't there. Maybe my tastes aren't varied enough that that, that happens. But <laughs> I do. I'm like you guys. I do have a hard drive that that I've got everything backed up on, and yeah. and that's saved a few things where I've gone to look for it, and it's like, oh, it's not in there. Wait a minute, maybe it's on my hard drive, and I'll go, hey, I do have it. Like the Badlands, yeah. I have. I'm pretty sure both of the Badlands releases backed up on my hard drive. I'll have to look because I haven't listened to them in a long time. I, I I know Andy and I might have been Ace mentioned it on their podcast, and I went, "Hey, I haven't listened to that album for a while." And I found it in my hard drive and downloaded it to my iTunes, yeah. and I thank God, but. I just, you know, like the backyard baby stuff. It's funny because I bought all that stuff immediately once I discovered them as a band and yeah. pretty much kept up on their releases. So that that stuff I've I've always had, I always have. So I just, like I said, I can't think of anything that's that's escaped me recently. But that's a good well, point. I don't know, have you experienced this though? Because I have this ha- thing happen when I made the jump from just doing iTunes when they really forced the change over to Apple Music. I have stuff that's that I ha- did have. It's like it's like my whole collection hasn't migrated over completely yet. Hmm. So like, I'll pull an album up that I know I paid for, and I'll have seven of the eleven tracks. Yes, or are grayed out, and I'm like, well, where are those at, and how do I get them back? I don't know yeah. that I ever will get those back. So that has happened to me a couple times. It happened to me today, and I'm I'm almost embarrassed to tell you what album it was, but. I was downstairs doing some work in the basement and I had my headphones on and I pulled up Patty Smythe and Scandal. And there's a greatest hits collection. It's been out for years. That's probably been 20 plus years. Probably it's been available. And I noticed, and I remember oh shit, that one ballad with Don Henley is one of two songs on that greatest hits collection that shows on Apple music shows on the collection Mm -hmm. is not available. It does not play when you. Is, is that the one that pops up not available in your country? It, sometimes I get that. It, I didn't even bother pushing on it because I knew that's what it was going to be. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I can listen to all these other hits. The other song I didn't even recognize. So it must have been an old scandal song or something. But that song is, and it's like number two or three on the track listing. And it is completely, but if you pull up the album that it came from, which is her album, it's on there. It makes you wonder if that's some weird rights thing or if there was a particular songwriter on that particular track that went out yeah. oh, you got to pay me this much to put it on there who knows but yeah i that's the one that drives me nuts is not available in your country it's like what yeah. <laughs> i've only noticed that 
um, where stuff is missing on soundtracks. Like I went to go listen to the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie soundtrack because there's an Ozzy song on there and there's a Rob Halford song on there. And those are the only songs you can really get. Some of them are like grayed out. Like there's a cult song that's just not available. I'm not really sure what that, what contributes to that. I mean, like he's saying, unless it's a rights issue with a writer or something, but normally that stuff is cleared. But you think about several years ago when they did, and I know we're kind of, this is still the same thing. It's the physical product realm, yeah. but when they did, they reissued all the 90210 episodes, I think maybe first, maybe it was for streaming rights or something. They replaced half the songs on the soundtracks with sound-alike songs. They took stuff out of the show and put similar sounding audio beds in there instead of those songs because i guess they didn't either they didn't pay for those rights in perpetuity at the time yeah they they were trying to find a way to get off cheaper um i think that's something with quantum leap when they were coming out with that on dvd they they just replaced music because they wanted yeah. to put it out as cheap as possible and didn't want to pay the artist to put the music in there yeah, same deal they i mean they i know for a fact they hired people to make songs that sounded like close enough to the songs that were originally in the show so it wouldn't be too jarring to people that were like oh it's my favorite episode would you do the soundtrack but yeah they, they literally stripped stuff out of there and replaced it when they when they released mtv's the state on dvd they did that tons of backing tracks that were on the original episodes of the state like i know i know one particular instance it was a foo fighter song hmm. and then, then when you watch the episode on the dvd it's this total generic you know, no lyrics and just just told generic backing track. I'm like, well, that sucks. And I that reminded me, I was gonna say that's I bought a Almond Brothers greatest hits thing at and literally it was a truck stop. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, look at this. It's it's like it was like a 3D set. And I was like, this is awesome. And I played it, and it was literally the whole all three song, all three CDs, every song on the CDs was was sound it was a sound like band. It wasn't even really the Almond Brothers. I was like, and I, I, what? I had the same thing happen with Badfinger. <laughs> I bought a Badfinger collection. It said it said greatest hits. I'd never seen it before. It had a couple songs on there that I'd never heard. It was Joey Mullins' Badfinger, all re-records, absolutely abysmal recording quality i was like man i can't i i ended up i don't know if i threw that away or if i traded it in i can't remember what i just got rid of it immediately i was like i cannot believe this is actually out in the wild yeah i just when i listened to it i was just like this is not the almond brothers and then in really super small print in the on the back of the inside liner note card it said uh performed by i don't remember the name of the band it was like you know Uncle Bubba's Mushroom Hunters or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe I fell for this. And it just, it blew my mind that they actually could do that. I was kind of trying to tie that in with the, with the topic because that, I bought that, like you said, because I saw it out in a while and I was like, this is not an Almond Brothers release I've seen. Not that I was a huge collector of the Almond Brothers, but at the time I was, I remember I was really big in a government mule and a Warren Haynes. And of course they, They've got lineage into the Almond Brothers. And so I thought, oh, cool, I can get my feet. I mean, I knew the Almond Brothers hits, of course, but I thought maybe I can do a deep dive with this because it was three CDs. Yeah. I thought, you know, you know, I saw the hits on there, but there was way more. And I thought, well, I can do a kind of a dive into the Almond Brothers, generally speaking, that way. And when I played it, I was just like, this is what the hell is this? This is horrid. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's just, I know people that 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 buy stuff like that and and they actually they love it because it's it's so kitschy and it's so off yeah, the wall yeah. but for me it was just i felt so cheated it was just like this is supposed to be the almond brothers not uncle bubby's mushroom sniffers or whatever <laughs> we, we, we for years man we had a i can't even remember the name of the company now but we had a cutout company that we would get stuff from and it was usually sometimes it was good stuff like if they discontinued like a box set or something you might get it at like a quarter of what it was originally going for still the same box that just that little tiny ding in the back over the barcode kind of deal and but they also sold a lot of that truck stop type stuff and every once in a while i'd be like ah, that looks like a cool little collection because you, you never really knew until you actually got it in hand without fail every time it was that exact same garbage you're talking about it's like i got this goes straight to the dollar CD rack, man. I don't even care about paying four dollars for it. We're just gonna put it out and hope somebody doesn't care either. But yeah, some people, some people like that kind of stuff. Me, just be upfront. You know, say right on the, put it in big letters on the cover. This is not the Almond Brothers, or this is 
Yeah. These, these are re-recorded. It'll say not original recordings on the back is what it usually says in, in fine print. But dude, anymore, it's, I mean, it's almost commonplace for the artists themselves, whatever iteration of the band is left to do that stuff. So they get their rights back so they can license the stuff out and not have to pay their label. They, they mm. can get the licensing fees. Right. So everybody yeah. has done it, whether they release it, you know, as a piece of product is another thing altogether. Some bands just do it just for that. Right. Leave the original ones out in the marketplace, but uh, yeah, you never really know. I mean, I can't tell you how many versions I've heard. I have the tiger with four different singers, all of which were really survivor technically, but they were <laughs> not the original version. That's for sure. So, right. Got me thinking about it. I reached my nadir with collecting when I looked at my, in this, another band, you know, that I, we've talked about, Denny and I have talked about at length, the helicopters. I'm one of them guys that I will buy anything Nick's associated with. I, you know, yeah. I, and I've, I've heard some garbage that he's done too, but that I don't care. He's one of my favorite artists and I'll, I'll buy anything he's associated with. I've got five different versions of By the Grace of God. And the only thing different <laughs> about them is the color. Yeah. And I thought, this is ridiculous. And I had to go on eBay to get two of them. And like, you know, come, they came from Sweden. And it's not like I really had to seriously outbid anybody for them. But I'm like, this is what I've been reduced to. <laughs> that's a legitimate affliction, my friend. You have an actual, that, that's at the point when you have to recognize that something's got to, something's got to give here. You know? <laughs> right. But I've, I, I mean, I've done the same thing. I did the same thing with Kiss for years. I did it with, man, Enough's Enough, Jellyfish. I would have every version that came out of those records, you know, from Japan. Sometimes it was just a matter of the cover was slightly different, or there'd be, you know, one bonus track for Europe, two bonus tracks for Japan. And then you'd find out there was a South American version that was like, oh man. And it looked identical and it had nothing different about it, but it was from South America. So you had to get the one from the, on the weird record label. What do they call that? Is it the UBI strip or something? It's a big Japanese OBI. thing. The OBI. Oh, yeah. 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 I've got a couple of CDs that I bought thinking that they were way different. And that was the only difference was it had an OBI strip. And I'm like, yeah. I paid 40 bucks for, for this to, just to get yeah, that. Then, I'll tell you what, then you see that stuff in the resale world later on. And that little OBI strip that usually vanishes or gets stuck inside of the case somewhere is a bargaining chip. That's like, if you have the OBI... <laughs> You get max value on that thing. It's, it's amazing what I can. I don't even know what any of that stuff says on there. But right, you had that included. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I, I, I'm right there with you, man. For a long time, and I'm like you. I'm, I hate to admit it, as I do actually own a record store. I buy quite a bit of stuff on vinyl, mostly used. I buy a few new things. And honestly, the biggest reason why is because I have the access to it at cost and i know what i could the damage i could do to my finances if i let myself order every single thing i see that <laughs> catches my fancy it's a it could be a real problem for me you know i'll be down at the bus station doing the you know rub and tug so i can pay my bill if i don't stop so it's like <laughs> i get high, off don't get high on your own supply man exactly <laughs> and it's and it's a hard call to make man you know i always charge myself i would physically charge myself and pay money into the drawer at my own store, which is essentially taking money out of my pocket and putting it in another pocket, but just to keep myself honest on it. So I wouldn't just take stuff home. You know, I, I, that was the only way I could make it that way. My brain would process, Hey man, you're spending way too much money on this shit. You know, it got to the point with me too, that time wise, I know people. And I, I also, I should have prefaced all this, this entire thing we're doing here. I should have prefaced it by saying I don't judge people that collect vinyl or whatever or have to get 40 different versions of Destroyer by Kiss. I don't judge people for that at all because, you know, everybody's got the thing that they're into. But I just don't have the time to sit down and put on a, an actual vinyl record and, and, you know, drink it in. I just don't. I've got an hour and a half, almost an hour and a half drive one way to work now. And that's a perfect time for me to digest my music or my podcast or whatever I do. I had a stereo. I had a, it had a cassette player and a CD player and a turntable. I actually gave my stereo to, to Bob Long. I posted it on Facebook to my friends and I said, anybody that wants this is, can have it. And Bob was the first one that said, I'll take it. And I met him here in Pekin to give it to him. And I actually gave him a ton of, I had an old, I had a bunch of old CDs that they were my wife's because she wanted to get rid of them or they were duplicates that I know yeah. a buddy of mine. 
a buddy of mine had passed away a few years ago and his wife had given me his CDs and I pretty much had all of them. And I gave all that stuff to Bob and he told me what he uses it for. He takes it to that Fulton County uh, Rehabilitation Center. Yeah. I'm like, That's awesome, dude. And I'm like, I, I feel even better now giving it away for free to you to take to those people. And he's like, yeah, they don't even care what it is. Just They just like music. And I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, so he, sells it, he sells it to him at $25 a pop, though. So just so you know. <laughs> but I thought, <laughs> I, I, I felt really bad getting rid of that stuff because I am such a music nerd and a music nut. But then when he told me that, I was like, that's awesome. It's going for a good cause. Kind of made me feel a little less weird about just being 100% digital. But yeah, that's that's really what it boiled down to for me was the fact that A, I can carry my entire collection in my phone with, you know, save for the, like we talked about earlier, the grayed out songs that aren't available. Yeah, in this yeah. for whatever yeah. reason. But I can pretty much have my entire collection in my phone and the convenience of being able to listen to it when I'm driving to work because I just don't have that kind of time at home anymore. And that's, yeah. that's what got me into just, you know what, unless it's by a band, because there are certain bands that I will always buy the physical product of whatever they release. Um, the aforementioned Nick and and the helicopters, anything he's associated with. Well, my shirt, Voivod, I'll always buy stuff, yeah. physical stuff from them. Exodus is another band. I'll always buy the physical stuff from them because to me, they're not ever going to be a Foo Fighters type band or a Taylor Swift. You know, one of these people that doesn't need my 20 bucks a pop. Yeah, you, you, you by you dropping off might be the thing that breaks their back and they have to retire finally. It looks like Paul Tinter stopped buying our stuff, so I guess it's time to hang it up. I've still got a quite a CD selection, but not near what I used to have. So more and more mine goes into boxes every year more and more mine gets boxed up and put in the basement either to go back to the store or to sell on ebay or whatever i'm going to do with it or, or throw away some of it's just garbage but man, i have a hard time i really have a hard time with it because i because i sell i mean i'm in a band too so i have both sides of this thing where it's like i you know i'm about to release a record now and i had to do it this is the first time we pressed vinyl and it's not cheap so you're every time you get, you know, you're going out on a limb with that stuff. Like, are we going to move enough of this to make this work? That because it's a it's a hassle, man. It's a whole other mix. It's a whole other master. Not a mix, but a whole different master for vinyl than the master for CD. So that requires, you know, both of those to be done. The waiting game of getting vinyl pressed. All, but if it does do well, the payoff is significant, and that's why a lot of bands. I mean, some bands, you know, if you press. 10,000 copies of something on vinyl, you're going to make a solid. That's a good nut, man. I mean, that's a really good, if you move all of that, it's, it's, there's money to be made there, but I'm with you. There are certain bands. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to buy it. I've been slowly buying every one of these enough's enough reissues records that never came out on vinyl. I've been buying every single one of them straight from Cleopatra. As soon as I see them pop up online, I've got one coming Saturday. So some I even took one getting. to you uh, when I was visiting you. Yeah, he delivered one for me. So, I mean, there's, I, there is some stuff that I'll, I, you know, but I can't buy, like you said, Destroyer is a perfect example. I can't buy the $500 Destroyer box set, man. I, I know what that album sounds like. I know what it sounds like remixed. I know what it sounds like remastered three different ways. And I love it. It's still a great record, but I'm not going to, if I got that box set, I'd probably go through the entirety of it one time. And it would get boxed up and back sit on a shelf somewhere and deteriorate because I'm not going to, you know, I just don't, I'm the same way. I spend more time playing music of my working on music or, you know, and I mean, honestly, do this to say collecting in general, is just a thing that like I have, I'm like you, I have multiple guitars. I don't know how you are with yours, but I don't baby them. I beat the shit out of them. I don't care how, what they cost. Those things are tarred and feathered. Because they're, that's how, just like my Star Wars toys when I was a kid. <laughs> they're big shit, man. I played with that stuff. And I, records the same way. It's like, I, if I'm going to buy something, I'm going to own it. I want to listen to it. If I'm going to buy a muscle car, I want to drive fast in my muscle car. I don't want to sit out there and wax it every Saturday. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that the, those are, I have a real hard time. But I understand the collector's mentality because I've seen people that are very meticulous about it. And they take it because it is a, it's an art form, you know, it's a thing. There's a, 
you actually, it's a tactile experience of like getting that, the smell of it. There's, I, you know, those things never leave your brain. I, I can remember, I have better memories of buying Kiss Asylum from JR's music in the Pekin Mall than I do of shit that happened last week. You know what I mean? Some of that stuff is just an indelible thing. It just stays with you. I understand. I totally understand it. I just have to resist the urge to do it. So in a way, I'm glad that the streaming thing exists because it allows me to indulge. Man, I listen to everything like that. When stuff comes out on Friday, man, I scroll through all kinds of stuff. And I, I, I end up scrubbing so many albums from my selections later on that I listen to once and realize, nah, I really don't need this in here. But man, it would take me hours to go through and clean that crap out man there's so oh, much yeah. stuff, you know well you brought up a good point about that five dollar destroyer box set neil young he's one that he's one of my favorite artists and i i actually stopped buying his physical releases because he's he's not human the older he gets the more crappy releases yeah and he did i did buy the volume one archive set and at the time it was a pretty good coin for it and I saw volume two came out and I, and I'm sitting there going, man, do I really need this? Because like you said, my volume one has sat in a drawer. I think I've, I <laughs> looked through the book a couple of times and actually played the, actually it's a Blu-ray version of it. So I, I have to actually get the Blu-ray player out and, and do it that way. But yeah. I've listened, I've listened to it all the way through maybe once but then Neil turns around. It was like two or three years ago. He's got an actual app for either iPhone or Android that's really? literally a, a clearinghouse for all his audio. You can listen to everything he's released on his app for 20 bucks a year. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, and I thought, why pay almost $400 for the super deluxe special limited edition, whatever it is, of his volume two of archives, or yeah. I can pay what, 20 bucks a year and listen to everything he's ever released. Keep me searching for a heart of gold And I'm getting old Yeah, because at that, but at $400 is just one of the things he's going to release this year. He's got, <laughs> it seems like there's an archive live thing every two to three months. For a while, there, like there was one every week. I wasn't really sure what was happening. And all that, all that stuff is on his app, and you can listen to it for. You have unlimited access for twenty bucks a year. That's to me, great. that was a no. To me, that was a no brainer. Yeah, I don't need. I don't need the physical copy because I'll never look at it again after I look at it the initial time or two. And who's going to really care that I have? You know, hey, I've got the volume two box set. Do you got it? People are going to like, yeah, whatever. That and a dime will get you a cup of coffee. <laughs> at the end, at the end of the day, at the end of the day. I want to hear the tunes. Yeah. yeah I, I miss looking at liner notes. I miss reading the thank yous. And just like you said, the smell, yeah. I do. I do remember that smell. Cause I'm a cassette guy. I grew up with cassettes. Yeah. And I remember that smell when you opened it up and you're reading the liner notes and, and I do miss it, but it's not, it's not enough to keep me in that world. I, at the end of the day, I just want to hear the music. My only hitch in all of this is that, I had a very, very long day Friday. Uh, we will not get into that because it does not apply to the situation. But before I came home from dealing with a automotive crisis, I got an email from the company doing our vinyl pressing saying that our test pressings were ready to be picked up. And I could, they could ship them to me. I said, I said, I called the girl. I said, look, I'll, I'm driving there right now. I'll be there in 30 minutes, which it was Friday, uh, almost rush hour. So it was not 30 minutes. And I was on the other side of town. But that's the point. I got the stuff, picked it up, took it home, dropped a needle on it, realized that my belt on my turntable had gone bad. So I had to wait until 7 p.m. that night to take it over and put it on my drummer's turntable, mini turntables, and, and test it out. And, man, the sound was the thing that got me. I'd already heard that. I'd heard the mixes of these songs hundreds of times, trying to get stuff dialed in i'd heard the cd master i had heard i'd actually heard the vinyl master in digital when i tested it to make sure the track listing was correct but there's 
a thing about that stuff on vinyl that you cannot, I can't articulate the difference, man. All I know is that when it, I, things don't sound the same in it, it really, and when it's your thing that you're so close to that you've heard it a million times, all of a sudden people arguing about what sounds better all goes out the window. It's like, I know, now I know the difference. And I do know that these sound better than CDs and they definitely sound better than streaming because streaming is for shit. It's a, so compressed and I've got tinnitus. So that shit just splits my head open. It's, I still love using it because of the convenience factor of it, but the quality of those files, no matter what they do to them to make it better is garbage. So that part of it, you know, it's funny because as we get older, you would think we'd be more equipped to buy this stuff because our finances are, you know, man, when I was 16, I would sell my little brother to get new records. I didn't care. You know what I mean? Cause I, and I've almost had to a couple of times when something new was coming out that I really wanted and I hadn't got my paycheck yet. <laughs> but, You'd sell Jared just to sell him. You wouldn't even, you wouldn't even care for profit on that. <laughs> well, that it's a good thing because they're very, very seldom that I get an offer that would be profit. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, Derek. We love you. <laughs> but you know, I'm saying there is a thing there. So there are. So, I mean, even, all that to say, there's, there are a lot of layers to why I. I mean, I do understand the collector mentality, especially specifically vinyl. I get why that is such a touchstone thing for some people. Where they just can't once they get back into it. I think a lot of people it's just because it takes them back to another time, or it, even if they weren't born in that time. It feels like they're going back to that thing, but uh, man, I felt it and it was super cool. And I, well, and that's, I, that's I, the I cool it. thing uh, about you specifically, Denny, is that that's your band. That's those are the songs that you wrote, and that I would imagine would be an ultimate cool factor. I mean, I'm lucky to make enough noise on the guitar to please myself, let alone anybody else. <laughs> I try, I primarily. I primarily play guitar just for myself. I've been in a couple of bands that did, that were not serious by any stretch of the imagination. So for you, I can imagine that's awesome. You know, if if I wrote, if I was in a band and wrote a song and put it on vinyl and put it on a turntable, I'm sure my feelings on this on the subject would be different. Oh yeah, yeah. but I respect you for that because that's awesome. But like I said, for me, I can look back now, thinking about it right now, and all I wanted to hear, I wanted, I just wanted to hear the music. It wasn't a, a thing of what format it was in. Yeah. And, and full disclosure, I was a cassette kid. I had records first because my parents had a turntable, like a console thing with an eight track player. Nice. <laughs> so I had records. And then I, but once I, I think I was maybe 12 when I got a paper route and I got a Walkman. And that was when the cassette, and I bought so, and, I, and when I got hired at co-op originally, usually sold used cassettes for $3 a piece. But for employees, they were 50 cents a piece. Nice. Damn. I spent the first two months I worked there buying everything I ever wanted that we could <laughs> use. I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. It didn't have to, it could be Madonna. I didn't care. I didn't own it. It was, I'm taking it 50 cents. And it would go <laughs> my, my little stash box behind the counter. And I ended up having to, I probably sold all that stuff back to the store at some point or sold it wherever. But I, mean, I still have tons of it. But yeah, I was totally a cassette kid. I, other than, my 12 penny or 12 records for a penny Columbia record club thing. And then my 13th one that got me in trouble that I didn't pay for by John Mellencamp. So, Oh man, <laughs> the rest of it was other than I had, I had the Battlestar Galactica soundtrack, the star Wars uh, story on vinyl and a couple other like kid things that I had and some 45s that were my mom's when she was a kid. But yeah, I'm with you, man. It was cassettes and then my parents stuff which was vinyl and eight track. So, yeah. and then I didn't even want to give up cassettes, man. I, I was, I hated CDs when they came out. I held on to cassettes as long as I possibly could. I was the same way, probably like you said, because that was your gateway drug, quote unquote. So <laughs> something new came along. You didn't want to give it up. I was the same way, but I, I did buy my first CD before I even owned a CD player. Because so many of my friends were getting CD players, I bought Slayer, Rain and Blood, and I still have it. I wish I'd kept the long box, but I still it's the Def Jam issue of Rain and Blood. And fortunately, in 2002, I got the original, all the original members of the band to sign it. Wow! So that's that's I still own the very first CD I ever bought, but I could not tell you what happened to the first cassette or the first vinyl. 
Hmm. Well, I, you know, I, that's how I ended up with the Wild Hearts was we got a promo of the Wild Hearts sent to the co-op and no one liked it but me. I didn't have a CD player. So I was like, oh, this is cool. And I put it in my box and I, I, was, I didn't still didn't own a CD player for years after I had that thing, probably. That's how far along I was. And I had one, I had the soundtrack to Bad Channels because it was only available on CD and it had two unreleased Joker songs that I just had to have that turned out to be covers <laughs> anyway. And then everything else was like import stuff that only came out on CD at that point. So for the early 90s, when everybody was making the switch, I only I had all these imports that I had to buy and then take to somewhere and put on cassette at somebody's house so I could listen to them in my car. So or you know whatever device I had at the time. Yeah, I, I fought it. I resisted it hard, man. Being young, oh. Andrew, I think my thing with music is like it's always been out of like necessity because I've never really made a whole lot of money. So at first, you guys were just talking about like, OK, I got to have it no matter what format it is or something. I think at first when I was buying music, I didn't have a lot of money. So I bought the uh, CD singles that were in the cardboard sleeve that slid out. And I had a bunch of Metallica yeah. ones like that just because. Like I wanted music, but I didn't have enough out of my paycheck or whatever. And then turned into 10, 12 years ago, like I was buying CDs and I'm like, well, why am I still buying CDs for $15 when I noticed vinyl was 99 cents? And I'm like, shit, that's like <laughs> way cheaper. I could buy a Journey album for 99 cents. Not anymore. <laughs> or not yeah, not anymore. Though. Yeah, now that stuff's like shot up, but... And I don't dude, wanna... I, oh, it's, it's funny because there was a point uh, he's pa he's passed away several years ago now, but when we first started selling vinyl in the store, her, Joanne's grandfather was an auction guy. He would travel around to auctions all week long and pick stuff up. He's a yard sale guy, but he, he loved his auctions. And one day he asked me, he had a box of vinyl in the garage. He's like, do you think you'd have a use for this? I said, well, we don't really sell vinyl, but now I'll put it in the store. So we got some little price stickers for it. And it was like the only thing we sold on consignment that wasn't local music. It was just for he, he and I split the money. I put it in there. Most of that stuff was marked a dollar or two dollars, all super cheap. Some of that shit now would be like 50 bucks easy. And he would just every couple of weeks, I because we would go there every Sunday for dinner. And every couple of weeks he'd have another box for me. And I mean, sometimes it was all Barry Manilow live. You know, it was just stuff, you know, Herb Alper, the Tijuana Brass, that there are so many copies out there, you could wallpaper your house with them. But um, <laughs> he would bring those boxes. And, and man, there were some weeks when I'd show up and hand him 50 bucks, you know, for selling these dollar records. And it was it was great, you know. But that was the very brief window before that stuff started to make its comeback. And now it's like, man, you, I, we played a show in Tupelo, Mississippi last year. Is that the Blue Canoe? Blue Canoe. So we had oh, not the Blue Oyster. We, it was not the Blue Oyster. There was nothing <laughs> going on. But we played. Uh, we had played in Clarksdale, Mississippi, the night before the Crossroads. So we had, we checked out of our. They give you rooms there. We check out of our rooms, and we. This is the gig where our muffler fell off, and it was a whole the whole trip was a saga in and of itself. But we had hours to kill, so we just kind of drove around Tupelo and we looked up record stores on this record shop. And it was awesome, man. But they had stuff like a beat-up copy of a Skinner record that we would sell probably for like 10 bucks, maybe, for like $30. And I was like, man, I, I, how do you, you know, and I'm looking at it, man, and it's, this thing is beat. Like, not, it's not cosmetically appealing. Even if the record inside had been pristine, the outside looked like it had come up from the Titanic. And it's like, I can't, there's you can't charge 30 but they were and they had a whole store full of that stuff so it is at some point man it just rounded the bend into like ludicrous and i can't pay that for stuff that i have get, I, some of that i've thrown very similar stuff in my dumpster at the store when we had no room for it so i don't care how many years it's been i'm i can't pay 30 dollars for a used Leonard skinner record 
that I know when I put on is going to crackle the whole <laughs> way through, you know, it's just crazy, but people, and it applies to people that collect and stuff too, or that people that don't collect, but know that collecting is a thing that want to come in and say, Hey man, I have these. And you say, well, I can give you this for them. Oh, they're worth way more than that. Well, go try and go sell them then. You know? Yeah. It's just not everything is gold, but the collector perception thing has made people think that it, it is. People ship the pants over finding a good copy of Rubber Soul in their basement. Man, Rubber Soul sold millions of copies. Yeah. There are millions of them out there. It's not worth trading value on Rubber Soul is not $25. You know, it's just there's got to be some meat on the bone for the store, too. So it's a really weird world with that stuff. I don't like gouging people. So, you know, we try to keep ours fairly reasonable. But, man, I've been to some places that have no qualms about just straight bending you over the counter and taking what you got. And it's, I guess if you're willing to pay it, it's not really theft. But, you know, it just feels like theft to me on some of that stuff. A fool and his money are soon parted. I've got one story that I want to share, uh, too, before we're done. Is that there's another guy, there's another record store here in central Illinois. So last Tuesday after work, I went by his store. I thought like, okay, maybe I'll just, I don't know. I wasn't really like wanting to buy something, but I just thought I would go browse or whatever. And I was like, cause sometimes I feel bad. Like if I'm going to this store, but I'm like, well, my buddy Denny's got a store. Why don't I go there more often? But no, I'm going here. So anyways, I got out of my car and as soon as I was walking up to this store, I felt a smack on my shoulder. I'm like, what the hell? And it was like purple, a purple splotch. And I touched it. And I was like, oh, sh- oh, I think that's bird poop. And it's it was like on my fingers. So I got in my car, drove home. I took my shirt off to scrub it. And there was the purple stain on me. So anyways, where I'm going is I got shit on by a bird out in front of this record store. And I'm like, I took it as an omen. I'm not going there anymore. I'm going to boil to Denny. So then Denny said, that was my pet carrier pigeon, Sergio. He shits on people when they go over there. Yep. I wouldn't put past him. <laughs> my brother looks after him. <laughs> I don't collect releases by every band I listen to. So I don't know when the worm turned. When Because I remember when vinyl first started hitting again, there were a lot of, like Sundays is one of the labels I can remember. They were doing some cool stuff, like, you know, reissuing albums that were hard to get, especially by what some people would concern, would term like psychedelic music or hippie music. I know that yeah. they actually they actually did some really cool MC5 releases. But I'm thinking, when did the worm turn when it was labels that were just trying to get that stuff out there that was that was hard to get or impossible to get? And the the deal where our label will go hey, uh, Bring Me the Horizon's latest album is out in 16 different colors because yeah. they know they know somebody's going to buy every every 16 of those colors. There's a label. I will not name the label. I'm not interested in pissing on people, but except for Andy with just via my pigeon. There is a label that had a band from the 80s and they released their album, same thing. It came in four colors. They actually offered a package that included the same album in those four colors. It was beyond exorbitant in price. And I thought, I mean, unless you're sitting on that stuff for resale, like you just plan to buy it and squirrel it away somewhere. And then in 20 years, that's going to be your retirement fund or something. Why would you need? And it wasn't even a good album. I'll just add that. <laughs> I'm not naming names. Why would you need that? But they know, just like what you just said, they know there are people out there that are obsessives and completists that have to have everything, every iteration of a thing by certain artists. And that, I mean, it does piss me off because I don't, you know, if you don't like it, don't buy it. I mean, you know, it's one of those kind of things. You got the money, you know, whatever. I mean, who, who am I to say? But it just seems, I don't like cash grabs, man. Cash grabs chat my ass in general. So, and that just feels like a blatant, no bones about a cash grab. So, and I, I think nine times out of ten, that's not the artist doing that. That's the label. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. 
these guys are getting ready to release an album they haven't recorded in you know five years or whatever so let's do this and i just can't see an artist going hey let's make 20 different color variants of our latest album and then we'll do we'll do plain colors and splatters of all those variants and we'll wind up with 40 some different variants of the same damn out al- it's just like <laughs> come on well that's what i've noticed lately is that i think rob zombie and like ghosts they released albums within the last like two years and i think at first i thought it was the artist but no i think it's like each retailer wants a piece of the pie, right? There's like the urban outfitters purple. Then there's the, like this other comic book store has a Coke bottle thing. And I think it's like each, each retailer wants their own piece of that 20 versions of Rob Zombie's new album. But then it's like, yeah, like if you're somebody that's like, Oh shit, I want that. That's 20, 20 copies and what thirty dollars? That's like what six? I don't know, six hundred. Six hundred. Yeah. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what version I want. I want the one version where he doesn't go hell yeah at least once on the album. <laughs> you can find me an album where he doesn't do that at least one time. Not possible, man. Not. I will. Possible. Buy, I will buy that version. I don't care what the price is. I make that <laughs> pledge now. Yeah. Yeah. This was even before the vinyl has been doing it now. Smashing Pumpkins back in 07 when Billy Corgan kind of got back with, I think, Jimmy Chamberlain and they put out Zeitgeist or Zeitgeist or whatever the album with the the like Statue of Liberty on there. That's the first time I noticed that there was six or seven different colors and it was there was like a red one, a gray one, a purple one, all these different colors of the rainbow. But each one had a different song on it and it was it was like weird. I mean, Paul, I'm sure Paul is just as guilty as I am of this, but import singles, man, back in the oh day, they would come out with at least a one or two part CD single for every release in Europe, sometimes in Japan, too. And that would have even more tracks on it. But you'd have to get all of them to get all of the B-sides. Or, and sometimes the B-sides are better than the album tracks. So it was really worth getting a lot. of. I mean, I still got tons of Wild Heart singles. I got some helicopter singles and stuff. That have tracks that are not on any album that I own, so that was the only way you get it. That stuff kind of trickled over. I mean, Japan got really bad about it with, like we were saying earlier, the Japan Japanese only bonus track or two Japanese bonus tracks, or sometimes it had more than that. But it just got to be, like you said, Best Buy exclusive, Target exclusive. And lots of bands did it. Bon Jovi did it. U2 did it with all kinds of stuff. Again, it feels like a gouge to me, but. Um, here's the question I have though. Why did that start though? Why did the Japanese get the extra track? I, I don't like, know. How really did that sure. begin? Because I think they were just to combat import happening. Like they didn't want, because sometimes the stuff would come out first in America or vice versa. It was a little bit of that, I think. But I always thought it was a, a thing to do to make sure that they would not get a cheaper imported version. You know? Oh, okay. Um, I often wondered that myself because, yeah, you. it's like, just Japan's the only one doing this. Why isn't there a, you know, French version or an English version or a Swedish version? It was always seemed to be Japan. I think. I mean, back in the I don't know about the vinyl days because now it's weird that there's a Kiss collecting page that I follow, and man, I didn't know how many versions of like double platinum. Man, there are every territory. There's one that has an all white cover, like Australia or something. There and they're super rare. There's all these weird alternate things i mean sometimes it was because they had to do the change the lightning bolt yeah. logo or whatever for germany or whatever but i see people arguing all the time about whether or not these are is this a le- or bootleg is this legit and there's always some guy that knows well all you have to do is you have to look at the center on the sticker it'll have a blue strip and it says you know i know some you know some spec that this guy knows that verifies it i don't know how that stuff gets licensed out somehow japan were a big enough market, I think probably because they are so huge with media that they were able to demand that and they started getting it, man. And I, I can't tell you how many things I bought from Japan. <laughs> but, you know, and it, it was very rarely because the cover art was different. It was always for those extra tracks that sometimes were just like shitty alternate versions of songs that were already on the record, you know? Well, you, you brought up a good point, like the helicopter stuff. And, you know, I'm not saying it's just because they're one of my favorite bands, but they did the cream of the crap stuff where they found out fans were paying exorbitant prices for these singles that they maybe only pressed one or 200 copies of. 
so they just turned around and put them all on CD and, and issued them as these compilations. And it even says right in the liar notes, if you paid, I think it says if you paid 500 bucks for an original pressing of Killing Allen and it didn't have these wor Swedish words, I can't remember what they are, Swedish words <laughs> in the run in the runout group, you got rooked. You know, that's why we did this because we heard people were getting gouged so bad for these original issue helicopters, seven inch singles and B sides and stuff. So they just put them all on, on a, on a disc and there's rumored to be a cream of the crap volume three, but that's been rumored for years, but I got my fingers crossed. I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I just think that's a lay that's a label thing. You know, if we issue and smashing pumpkins is a good band to talk about that with, or like say the Foo Fighters, although I don't think Dave would allow it, but you know, a band that big, they, you know, the label goes, Hey, they're getting ready to issue a new album. Let's put all these different variants out. And there are people out there that'll buy them, man. It's just yeah. like, you're out there searching for the guava lemonade color version. And I'm, I've already listened to the album a hundred times, but you're, you're busy out there searching for this weird, weird color variant. Yeah. Well, and like more power to them. If it, again, I try not to judge people that do that because I, I collect weird stuff, not necessarily music related, but you know, if that's your thing, you know, knock yourself out, but I just don't see the value in it. When, like I said, for me, at the end of the day, I just want to hear the tunes. I and, think the obvious, the obvious source of this, if we really were to break down and study the timeline, has got to, it has to somehow, in some way, shape, or form, go back to Gene Simmons and Kiss. Because they were the masters of making, you know what I mean? Yes, but, they are. And, they still and, are. And, when they, and then when they mounted that comeback and they did the spin, the four covers with their four faces on it, there was always different versions of the big there are all these little things it's like because kiss fans are the ultimate sorry i'm i am one the ultimate schmucks for that stuff man and we're by, so it's been happening for years this is not a new you know science that's being applied if people have found ways to get diehards to i mean shit taylor swift's got two versions of every album and then another version of the new version of the other version of the you know the, i can't keep track of that stuff anymore you yeah, because that's something that's kind of funny to me. I told Denny before you got on, Paul, that I didn't make as many notes as I usually do, but I made a couple notes. I said last year there was 41.3 million records sold. Like uh, that was actually vinyl. And then I wrote like to myself, how many were actually Taylor Swift? <laughs> I was going to say 40.2 40. million were Taylor Swift releases. Yeah, really, because she had the record store day thing that brought people out. Then massive. she has her like, her uh, Taylor's version, and then she had like I think she put out a brand new album like Midnight's last year. So man, and she's got to make up people, so much about people. One hundred percent, absolutely. That she is a she's a prime example of this too. We were talking about this earlier. There are people. We had this woman, and it's the same woman every time Record Store Day rolls around. Doesn't shop at our store any other day of the year, but always wants to know how many copies of the Taylor Swift are we getting? What time do we open? And she comes in and tries to buy every one of them. And she always has some bullshit story about how it's for her daughters and her daughter's friends. You're, you're reselling them. You're, you're absolutely buying this stuff to resell. That's when you know something has reached its, and it's about to go off the cliff as far as I'm concerned. It's like, man, this is where we're at. That this 60-some-year-old woman is coming in here and scooping this shit up to go to eBay or Amazon with it. It's like, okay, now we've everybody's hip to this stuff. The, the old lady's doing it now too. It's just gotten, it's just ruined the fun of it. For, for yep. me, you know, yep. and I, and I, you don't want to be rude to anybody because I don't want to be rude to any customer. I don't want to insult anybody and be like, oh. but it's like one, all I can tell you is yes, we have some coming in. We have several. It's first come first serve. No, we cannot hold it for you. I don't care who, you know, I don't care who your cousin is. It doesn't matter. We have a, we sign a pledge with Record Store Day, the, the organization, and we run it according to that. And if you don't like it, you're welcome to go find somewhere else that doesn't have scruples and you know buy your shit there. That resale market, man, is so crazy that the day of Record Store Day, within minutes of the first store opening their doors, you see those exclusives already up for sale somewhere. Yeah. Like, How did you even get the posting up that fast? Yeah. No. I'll tell you what though. I used, you know, Kiss is Kiss is a difficult thing. You know, that you guys brought up Kiss, it made me think Kiss is a difficult thing with me because growing up my sister was a huge Kiss fan. I mean, 
I credit her with at least partially giving me my love for heavier music. Not that I'm going to call Kiss heavy metal, but back then it was. I mean, oh, yeah, for sure. You know, back in the mid 70s, late 70s, that was heavy metal. And, you know, she passed away in 1982. And so that the original Kiss stuff, I mean, that's, you know, I'm, I'm right there with it. But then, like Denny said, you know, you, the marketing, you can either call it genius or slugginess of them guys in the ensuing years, ensuing decades. But, you know, I watched the, the real or the big interview with Dan Rather with Paul Stanley. Yeah. I don't know if you, either of you have seen that. He's actually a, a pretty well-read guy. You know, Paul Stanley's not an idiot. No. You know, I wound up getting a newfound respect for the guy. Now, Gene Simmons, he's always going to be an asshole. And he proudly proclaims that. <laughs> you know, he, he called one of his solo albums asshole. But I don't know. It's just, you know, watching that big interview with Dan Rather kind of gave me a newfound respect for the guy. And it just, but yeah, the, the marketing stuff those guys did, it was like, yeah, they're, they know what they're doing because I mean, look at all this stuff that's available. Well, I mean, they learned from the, I mean, that was a bill of coin thing too. Their manager was the, that was the real mastermind behind all that stuff. They just took that and ran with it during that reunion and took it to a whole other level. Oh yeah. Back then, you know, I'm sure it took a while to get their, you know, 12 inch dolls made and stuff. Now there's like action figures and McFarlane figures and Funko Pop figures. There, there's no end to what you could buy if you really just wanted to exhaust your finances. Uh, they'll they'll be happy to make whatever you want, you know. And yeah, yep. You know, keep the pipeline wide open, and that's fine. If people again, if people want to spend money, and I've I've benefited from that. That's part of my my business plans. I understand it. I just can't participate in it at on that side of things. You've got that. That's something near and dear to you for a very specific reason, and it's gonna. It's, that's never gonna go away. There's some stuff where it's just the, the shine is just worn off for me. Right. Yeah. I, I've even gotten to the point where I mentioned my. You know, I had five different versions of helicopters by the grace of God, and the only difference is color. Now it's just like I just need the the main release, and I'm good. You know, I don't need the special fold out with the you know collector's edition tumbler and it's just that's just not for me i just again just like to sum it up it's just at the end of the day i just want to hear the music man that's just and yeah, yeah even though itunes and streaming does suck as far as sound quality goes i mean itunes and spotify and amazon music i'm in it for the convenience of being able to haul my entire collection around in my back pocket man i i think you nailed it early on with the thing that you said about supporting you have a core group of bands that you're loyal to I, the thing that bothers me the most about the slow death of the physical product thing i don't know how long we'll be in business i mean I, I, the fact that we've made it to you know we're going on 26 years next year that's a long time that's a long run for any business and if it you know if it ends tomorrow i it's, it's, i wouldn't be shocked man it's just because that's i already feel fortunate to have gone as far as we've gone but the thing that's that i sweat I say this as a guy that's probably in his last days of doing the live music thing and, and, and being a working musician is that I feel for the bands. It's really hard to make money these days. It's really hard to make money on a release. And I see more and more bands in interviews talking about the fact that I don't see the point in making new albums. I don't see the point in, you know, we're just going to do singles. We're going to do. And, and that, doesn't really amount to anything either man there's no money in that so i just feel i don't the thing that gets me is i look around all the time and i, I see all these young bands coming up and, and making a, a run for it and it's like is there even a brass ring anymore i don't even know what what you're jumping at you know i don't know that there is any way to have the level of like a foo fighters or something like will there ever be another band that even gets that big you know that's not a flash in the pan like ghost right now is experiencing this thing where they they defied the odds and it become this huge thing but will they sustain that those bands are one in a million now it's like and they're a merchandising machine too because they have a thing but for the just the average like if a helicopter's band smoke tomorrow as great as they are would they have would they be able to go far enough to without the benefit of scandinavian uh subsidies be able to 
you know, have a career, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how that works, man, because so much of that was, you know, the labels made money on you. So they put money back into you in form of tour support and you got publishing and you got all that shit's just whittled down to nothing now. Yep. Isn't that a case where a Tucksmith and Biters or something, didn't he basically say he kind of broke up the band because they weren't making any money, but it's like they're touring and they're putting stuff out, but yet they're still not making any money. So that's why he did the solo thing, right? Yeah, but I mean, if you're touring at the level of playing small clubs like they are, you're not yeah. you're just covering your, you know, if you're lucky, you're just covering your expenses, man, to get, you know, when you, most of those bands come back from those tours and they don't have a pot to piss in. And that that's what I'm saying is like, if you don't, yeah, without record sales, without substantial record sales, there's no, labels don't aren't going to give you tour support like they used to that all that stuff is just kind of gone because they found this new business model where shit, we'll just get a bunch of writers to write a hit for this kid from Disney and we'll put that out and we'll milk it on streaming. And, you know, and these writers, they're not going to make any money either because there's a dozen of them on every track. So it's like once they, <laughs> their pie is split up. It's like, it's just all of it is designed to it's all. It's all not that it wasn't always, in favor of the record labels because it was but you know and then the labels on top of that what people don't realize is they're double dipping man because they're doing all these reissues of shit that they've already paid for decades ago a destroyer deluxe box set kiss ain't getting all that money they're getting some of it universal's getting that money who owns all of those masters you know that that's why all that stuff when it comes out if you did a whole reissue series of, uh, you know, if all the Prince stuff got repressed, sure, his estate, whoever owns his publishing or whatever part of his publishing, they would get that. But that's Warner Brothers, man. Warner Brothers is going to clean up on that stuff, not Prince. Those labels are making money on things that have been paid for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. They're getting paid again on them. That's a good point you bring up. Are we going to see are we going to see a rock star the like of Foo Fighters or Taylor Swift or Kiss, you know, because Kiss was the biggest thing back when I was a kid, unless it's going to be somebody that's a manufactured star. It's not going to be somebody that came up in the trenches and paid their dues. And it's going to be like Denny said, the kid from Disney. Oh, he's going on tour. Yeah, that's going to sell. But Machine Gun Kelly. Well, but even that bombed even even that went sideways the those kids the thing with those kids or with any young star is they always try and get them we need to get you acting we need to get you do none of those people are just like pure there's no grease their brand that's all it is it's all about branding you look at a jason isbell that is a legit in my opinion springsteen level talent he's not the showman that springsteen has obviously so maybe that's different but that guy has consistently put out quality work for the better part of a decade now and be, and beyond. And still, even though he's not a household name, I mean, he's at no. a, he's at a high level and I'm sure he has, makes a very good living for himself, but he's not what he would have been had he come along in the seventies and been doing that caliber of work. It's just not, it's like a weird glass ceiling or something now. I don't know. I just know that nobody's getting rich like they used to get rich. And this is this this is old guys, you know, yelling at clouds and shit. I get it, man. It's, it's, this is perfect. not a new discussion, man. You know, perfect, perfect analogy. My stepdaughter, she got tickets to go see these YouTube stars. They're going on tour, and the whole gist of their YouTube show is them sitting in their car, eating fast food and talking. And I'm over here scratching my head, going, "This is this is this is a thing." And I guarantee you these kids are probably making 10 times what I make in a year. And there's no music involved. There's no explosions. There's no walkways out into the crowd. There's no guy flying across the arena with a guitar in his hand. I just sit there like old man yelling at clouds. That's exactly what I thought because I'm like, you know what? I did not dissuade her from wanting to go see these guys, you know, and I helped her get tickets. But it's just like. Man, the the stars we had when we were her age are completely different from what we yeah. got now. Yeah, social media or social media influencers, which I cannot stand that term, but it's a thing now. These people go on tours, and I mean they're sold out. There's lines around the block to meet them, and it's just like all they're doing is acting like idiots on social media. Yeah. I do that. I don't get paid a dime. I just hope they, I just hope they're saving their money. 
for their sake, I just hope they're saving the money because none of that stuff. I mean, I'm sure somebody can find one errant example where I, where I am mistaken on this, but none of that stuff lasts more than a couple of years. It just, exactly. goes, and then there's somebody else in their place doing some other variation on an unoriginal theme for a year and that suddenly catches on for whatever reason, I, you know, but I mean, dude, again, it all goes back to the same thing. If people are willing to pay for this shit and they find that to be entertaining, who am I? That's right. It's no less disheartening. It's still like a, a drag to look at and think, yeah, this is just like, this is just bullshit, man. I mean, at the end of the day, it's bullshit. There's, you know, there used to be like a bare minimum requirement kind of, you know, to, yeah. to get over. And it's like, now it's like, man, it's just, Hey, look at this. I shit in my hand. You just yeah, remind yeah. me of something. I think there was something. I can't remember when it was, but the Twisted Spoke like sold out a show and it was just a guy that was shirtless and ate cheeseburgers. Wasn't it like going back two years ago or something? I don't know. I don't even um, know who this guy was. But Bert it, like, maybe <laughs> I don't know something. I don't know how I came Machine. up with that. But like, I remember I re- going there, I recall, trying to see I recall, some bands. I recall seeing something like that on Facebook, and I remember just shaking my head, going, "And people are going to pay money to go see that." Yeah, yeah I remember. I, I couldn't tell you the guy's name or what it was. Yeah, but I remember. I vaguely remember seeing something about that on Facebook, and just shaking my head, going, oh. "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all right, maybe we should end it there with the cheeseburger. And that's not. That's not. A, <laughs> I'm working at it before I take my shirt off. Shirt off. I got just got some cheeseburgers delivered, so. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. that's not a, that's not a peak and specific thing. That's I gotta log into my OnlyFans page and eat these cheeseburgers here real quick so I can get paid this month. You got any crystal over there? I'll pay. I've never had crystal. It's not good. You're not missing right out. down the street. No, I, I, I I'm I'm positive I would not enjoy it. <laughs> All right, you like Taco John's though? That's I do. I do have a Taco John's gift card in my. It's burned a hole in my wallet. I got for my birthday. I need to make use of that shortly. I have to drive like 45 minutes to get Taco John's now though. <laughs> no seriously thanks for having me on andy and denny good to see you i i could do this all night i love i love talking music so well thanks wow. for coming up with the topic you know hey like i said i got an hour and a half drive one way to work all the time this your podcast has been an excellent space filler for that so no i appreciate it thank you thanks for listening man denny you're one of my go-tos as far as music knowledge goes guys like you and bob long i the first time I went to Shandy's and I said, I said something about some obscure band and Bob went off on their lineage. I'm like, my God, oh yeah, this guy, this guy knows his shit. I need to get over to the new Shandy's, even oh, though I don't, not a big record store guy. He always has some good treasures laying around. Yeah. yeah you never know what you're going to find in there. I thought, I think I found a human body in the back one time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he even knew he had it. <laughs> Probably autographed by somebody too. <laughs> <laughs> all right fellas it was a good time all right man all right man well, thank you thank you clocking out <laughs>